Well, how is everybody doing this morning? Hallelujah. Come on, let's try that again. How is everybody doing this morning? There we go. There we go. I feel like I'm, I was alone there for a moment. Well, we're going to jump right into things because we've got a lot of stuff to cover this morning. You ready? You got your yes. engine revving, ready to go? You know, we're going to continue on in our series on the character and the nature of God. And I, I was thinking this week, I'm like, how did we get to here where we are? Because uh, we started this uh, series nine weeks ago now, this Sunday, and it was because of where we were in another series. And so at the end of spring, towards the end of spring, we were preaching a series out of Philemon chapter 6, where it says that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing that is in you. Now, we said that with that verse, you know, it can be like, Talk, think about it, it's talking about, oh, you need to go tell people about Jesus. And that's a good message, and it's a needed message, but it's not the message that Philemon was saying here. You actually have to look at what that word means, that the sharing of your faith is the word participation. That you participating in faith becomes active when you acknowledge what's already in you in Christ Jesus. If you don't know what's in you, you'll never act out certain things that you've been called to. Yeah. And so it's not about just what Jesus has brought in you. You've got to remember who is on the inside of you. He said he'd make it come and make his home in you and that he'd be there forever. So if you don't know who he is, you won't know what you have and what you can do in this season. Come on. Yeah. We got enough weak and powerless Christians around this world. We need some power Christians standing up and saying, no, if God is for me, who can be against me? And so that's how we got where we are right now. Nine weeks later, we're looking at the nature and the character of God because when you understand what he is, you get a glimpse of about who you are and what you can do, what's available to you. And so for the last three, this is week number three, we're getting into the redemptive names of God. And I was thinking about that, you know, when we're talking about the redemptive names of God, they are names that are based around his revealed characteristics. It's things that people from the Bible, they recognize, this is what God is. Everywhere he goes, this is what he does. We have Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. It means it's not your righteousness, it's not your right standing, it's his right standing given to you. Come on, we got Jehovah Nisi, he is the Lord my banner. That means he is my victory. Meaning that when you step up to the whatever's going on in your life, it's not based around you to make something happen. He says, why don't you go ahead and come in, live in my victory. Come on, and so we go through all these revealed characteristics about who God is and what he does, and he does not change. And so we said a few weeks ago when Moses was being, God was revealing himself to him, Moses said, what's your name? And God didn't give him a name. He said, I am the self-existent one who exists, meaning you don't even really even need to know my name. You need to know that I'm here. I'm not based upon what you believe or what anybody else believes. I am self-existent, self-reliant, and that's good to know. God doesn't rise and fall based on you. You rise and fall based upon what you believe about him or what you don't believe about him. He does not change. But we get into it where when he's like, well, couldn't God given him a name there? He did, actually, and Mo Moses didn't know it. Before he said, I am that I am, 
or the self-existent one who exists. He said, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. And he used the word Elohim. And that's the one that we can, where consistently we see through the Old Testament is used for God, Elohim. It's the plural word of El because it's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Godhead three in one. So when he speaks, it's all of them working together in and through. And so he already said, I am Elohim, and that meant nothing to Moses. And so sometimes when we're doing the names of God, people spend a lot of time on Elohim, and it just simply means God. But if there's other gods in your thinking and in your processes, He's just another God. And we have to understand, we look at the Bible uh, in, inside of like a bubble. You know, we see what was written, and we don't ever consider the context of the culture around them that these stories were going on. And so when, when God said, I'm the Elohim of Abraham, in Moses' understanding, Elohim was just a class of God. In the Canaanite society of which the, we see Israel come out of, Elohim was just a status of God. It was the upper tier of God of which there was many gods. And so just to say God really meant nothing. And just like today, you can go out and say, oh, just trust in God, brother. And they're thinking, which one? They may not have any experience with the God who created this universe. And so it's the same way. When God said, I'm the Elohim of Abraham, that didn't mean anything. It's just as much as you say, well, we got Thor, the God of Thunder, and we've got Zeus, who's the God of Mount Olympus. It's just another God. But your God and the God in whom we serve is not just another God. He's the same yesterday and forever. And he is the only one that matters yes. Everything else is just a pale imitation of what he is yes. And so the redemptive names of God Or the ones that are all based around Jehovah Or the self-existent one who reveals himself Man, they don't change And every one of them you see wrapped up in Jesus And so for the last two weeks we've been talking about Jehovah Jireh The Lord will provide. And we're going to continue on in this today because this is a very important subject for us in the season that we're living in as Christians. There are so many people that are just so afraid of what they think is about to happen. Um, I don't really care what's about to happen. I know that my God inhabits my present, he inhabited my past, and he inhabits my future. And wherever I find myself, I will stand in the middle of his provision. The entire system may collapse around me, and it, maybe it will, maybe it won't. It doesn't matter. I've got God. And part of his revealed nature, of which Abraham recognized, and he had to call the place where God called him to, Jehovah-Jireh. He named that part of the mountain Jehovah-Jireh, as it says, as it is to this day. And so, meaning it wasn't subject to change. God was a provider then, and he's a provider today. And so I want this so ingrained in your head, some people to interpret this as the Lord who provides, which is fine. That's, that's an adequate definition. I like the Lord will. Because no matter what somebody says to you, you can go ahead and say, it's okay, God will provide. Amen. Doesn't matter what situation I stand in, God will provide. Yes. And so no matter what you think about God, it doesn't change who he is. And he is a provider. You can either let him be a provider or you cannot. Oh, come on. 
You know, I have to participate? Of course. Didn't we just say Philemon 1.6? That the participation of your faith becomes active as you acknowledge who and what is in you? Yes. 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 Some participation required. Yes. Come on, those of you who have kids, you ever gotten a box of Lego? <laughs> I wish they came out of the box built. <laughs> Thankfully, my oldest Harrison's really good at them. But my second one, Bennett, is not. He looks at those and he's like, I don't have time for this. Come on, Christianity is some participation required. That participation is called faith. God, I choose to believe you. I choose to agree with you. I choose to walk with you. I don't have to make it happen, but I'll have to be with you. If he's going here and you're going there, guess what? His blessings are over there, not over here. So you can say, well, wherever I go is blessed. And that's actually not true. You have been blessed by God, but God's blessings work where God is. And that's important. That's why we should always be in the habit of, God, what's your, what, what do you want me to do in this moment? What is your will? You know, what would you have me to do? And if he doesn't say anything, hey, go ahead and do what you want. But as soon as he gives you direction and you begin to feel it going, okay, this is the way we need to go, get a running. So last week, as we were ending, we looked at the story of Jacob and Laban. And I wanted to go to that story for a very important reason. J Laban was not a good boss. Oh, come on. And I keep hearing over and over, especially with my generation and younger generations, like, oh, these employers, they're all just so horrible. And, you know, uh, how could I ever get ahead if they're going to just, you know, try and cheat me at every turn? I told you that story for a reason. It doesn't matter who your employer is, you need to know who your provider is. Come on. It doesn't matter what you make at your job. Come on. I have a God who the Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and all the gold and the silver is his. He knows how to make a way where there is no way. He knows how to open doors that you didn't even know were there. Come on. If a door's not enough, he'll break down a wall for you. Come on. It doesn't matter where you're employed, even if God told you to be there and you're like, my boss kind of sucks, it doesn't matter. He's not your source. My God will provide. Doesn't matter what he has to do, he is a provider. You're a listener and a responder, he's a provider. And so we looked at that because Laban changed Jacob's wages ten times. He kept trying to cheat him, but he couldn't stop the blessing. And, and when Jacob said, I am out of here, Laban, Laban says, I recognize that I've been blessed because you've been here. And I don't want you to go because I know the blessing goes with you. You know what Laban should have done? Tell me about your God, Jacob. Come on. I don't need Jacob if I've got him. So, I've heard so many times over the years, you know, like, well, I know, Pastor Jordan, that sounds all great, but I'm on a fixed income. Well, that sounds like a broken income, <laughs> you know? God's not dependent upon what you make. He'll give you ideas, be above and beyond, go here, do this. He doesn't care if he has to send an angel to dump stuff on you and be like, here's what you need. He'll do it. He did it with Elijah. There was no food in the land, but yet every day a bird dropped food on his plate. He multiplied the contents of oil and flour over and over so that they never stopped. He broke bread and fish to feed multitudes. God is not limited 
unless you limit him. And so we have to change our perspectives. Whatever situation I'm in, God will provide. So with that in mind, it's really important that we understand Jacob had one perspective and Laban had another. Jacob had the perspective for every problem, God gives me a solution. Laban looked at it as without Jacob, I'm screwed. <laughs> and how you look at things will limit you. You want to look at a story from the Bible to back that up? Numbers chapter 13, verse 2. Backup of the story is Israel has arrived at the edge of the promised land that God has called them to. They've been through the wilderness. They've, got, they've been escaped from the Egyptians. There's been miraculous miracles on their behalf. They've been fed. The Red Sea split. Water came out of the rock. It's been a miraculous time. And they now stand on the edge of their blessings. And God says this. Verse 2. Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. That's God's promise. That's what God said about this situation. Go look at the land. It's yours. That really wasn't up for interpretation by them. And so when God has said something about you, stop trying to say, well, but. Right? And so he says, send, send them in. One from each tribe of the fathers, you shall send a man, and every one a leader among them. So they got to choose who they sent. Now, I'm saying this because it's really important who you let represent you. Don't let someone speak for you that is not aligned with what you believe. They got to choose the person. So let's jump down to verse 27 of that chapter. So they've spied out the land, they've looked at everything, and they come back, and this is what they said. Then they told him, we went to the land that where you sent us. And hold on a second, Moses didn't send them, God did. He said, send men. And he says, it truly flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. And when they talk about this is the fruit, it said that they had to have two men carry it because there was just so, the grapes were so full and so luscious. And it took two of them to carry it back. And it says, so truly, it's a great land. Nevertheless, they should have stopped there. They shouldn't have come as far. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And their cities are fortified, and they're very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, meaning we saw giants. And he says, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. And so they're saying, hey, it's good, but I like that you'll provide God, but you can't do that in my situation. This one must be a little too big for you, God. And it says, then Caleb quieted the people. Man, stand up for yourself. If someone's speaking on your behalf and it's not what's true, don't let them keep going. 
Caleb stands up and he says to Moses and all the people, he says, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Come on. He was in the same land that the other ten spies were. He went to the same place, saw the same people, saw the same giants, saw the same walls, saw the same cities, and said, we can do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we aren't able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And it says, and they gave the children of Israel bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw giants, the descendants of Anak, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. Not in their sight. They focused on how they viewed themselves first. And so we were in their sight. It's important how you see what's about to happen next. Because God had already said, I'm giving it. And so Caleb and Joshua said, we can do this. And the other ten said, we cannot do this. And guess what? They were both right. Those other ten men, along with everybody else from that generation, died in the desert. On the edge of the blessing. Joshua and Caleb somehow outlived everybody else and went and took the land. And even in his old age, I love it. Caleb says, give me the mountain. I want to take the mountain. Come on, that's the hardest ground to take. you got to fight uphill to take it. And even 40 years later, there was enough fight and enough vision in him to say, it doesn't matter how big the mountain, I'll take it because God's given it to me. And so provision is always preceded by vision. If you can't see yourself Stepping beyond where you are because you're looking at how limited you are by the situation. You're looking at the wrong God. So as Paul said, we read it last week in Romans 8.31. What shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who or what can be against us? It doesn't matter where you are right now, what's in front of you, or what you think you see. If God is with you and he's told you to go what can stand against you? Because he who didn't spare his own son, but delivered him up for us, not just for Pastor Jordan, but for all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? How shall he not? The answer is he won't. He's going to do it. He is the provider. So let's jump over to Second Peter. How you doing? In 2 Peter chapter 1, I like Peter's perspective on this whole topic. He starts off in verse 2. He says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. Grace and peace are multiplied to you when you know about God. Oh, come on. We're talking about the nature and the character of God. When you understand God, it seems like you find yourself walking deeper and deeper in his grace. Yes. Deeper and deeper in his peace. Yes. 
And the opposite is also true. The further you stay away from God and the less you know about him, the less you stand in grace and peace. Why do you think the world is so looking after just one little sliver of peace? And Jesus said, I've, I've come and I've left peace for you, not as the world gives, but as I give. And so he says it's multiplied by the knowledge of God, not even added. Multiplication is always better than addition. I'm sorry, uh, Jessica, you're the math teacher. Multiplication is better than addition, right? I'd rather have 10 times 10 than 1 plus 1, right? Grace is multiplied when we understand God. Because as his divine power has given to us all things. As his divine power has. That's a past tense. Not a future tense, meaning when Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, he did more than just die for your sins. He provided for what you would ever need because he's already seen your end from your beginning. It's not like he's late to the show and just getting up and being like, okay, uh, maybe I got to make something happen. No, he already looked ahead and provided all things that pertain to life and godliness. Isn't it good that it's not just spiritual things? He could have just been, it would have been good if he just said, I've given you all things that pertain to godliness. Go and live a great spiritual life. But he didn't say that. He said, I've given you all things that pertain to life as well. Through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue and by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's great, that you may be a partaker. Partaking is a choice. Come on. Mama's in the kitchen and she's slicing up the pie and she says, do you want a piece? What's your answer? Of course I want the pie, Mom. Put it on a plate, and I'll take it, and I'll eat it. And that's essentially what God has done. He's put what you needed on the plate, set it on the table, but he won't make you pick up the fork, and he won't make you put it in your mouth. God has provided. He will always be a provider, and what you need is already standing before you. Go ahead and grab it by faith and say, I choose to walk in it, Lord. You are my provider, and in this moment, I've got more than enough to get through where I am and go through into what you've called me to. Come on. Every day. One month from now. One year from now. One decade from now. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. So whatever situation you find yourself in, I want you to remember the words God will provide. Because your mind is going to want to play tricks on you, right? Every time you hit a bump, we go, okay, what am I going to do? I want you to say, God will provide. Come on, there's been a song I've been singing all week. Uh, I, we don't ever do it here, but it's a great song. Is it, God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. Oh, God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. And so if he's provided, all you need to do is just say, okay, God, what do I do? Help me see the direction that I should be pointing myself in. Come on. Hallelujah. 
So I want to take a moment, I want to look in the life of Jesus. A whole bunch of other stuff that we could say about this, and I think we'll probably say it next week instead. But if you join me over in Mark chapter 8, I want to look at something here this morning as we're wrapping up about how do you move from where you are to what he said with what you have. Oh, come on. How do you move from where you are to what he said with what you have? This is important because so many people, when they hear God's provided, they look like, but this is all I have. God will never ask you to do something with what you don't have. And so here we find a very popular story with Jesus. And it says, In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. This story begins with Jesus' heart reaching out to those around him. Do you think he has stopped doing that today? If he was moved with compassion for people in need then, he's moved with compassion with people in need now. And he said, if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they're going to faint on the way. For some of them have come pretty far. And his disciples answered and said to him, How can one satisfy the people with bread here in the wilderness? And so the disciples asked the important question that we all think. How can I go where you've asked me to go, Lord, with what I've got now? Come on. Am I the only one that's asked this question before? How? How can we? And Jesus says to them, how many loaves do you have? Whenever God asks you to do something, he never starts with something you can't do or do not have. Let's think about the story with uh, Peter and Jesus. They came to Jesus, and they said to him, does your master, does Jesus, they said to Peter, does, does, does he pay the temple tax? And so they said, what do, what do we tell them? And he said, of course I do. Here you go, Peter. Go, go fishing. And the first fish that comes out, take the coin out of his mouth and go and pay taxes for me and for you. Well, the thing we need to know is Peter's a fisherman. He didn't say, Peter, I want you to go into the bakery and bake us a big old cake or a big old lo loaf of bread and go sell it and use the ta that money to pay our taxes. He's not going to ask you to do something outside of the talents and the resources he's already given you. Come on. And so he said to Peter, go fish. But you know, the second part of that story is, is that Peter has been a fisherman all his life, and he's probably thinking, I've caught hundreds and thousands of fish, Jesus, and I've never found no stinking coin in no fish's mouth. <laughs> Come on. And so there was faith required. He had to trust Jesus. It's like the beginning of his relationship with Jesus all over again. Jesus said, hey, Peter, can I use your boat? And he's like, sure. And so they pushed out. Jesus taught the people. Peter's cleaning his nets. And then he says to Peter, push out, put your nets down. And he says, uh, well, we've already fished all night, Jesus, and we caught nothing. But, okay, okay, to shut you up, here we go. And he sunk their boats. 
with something they could already do and something they already had. So back to our story. Jesus asks them here, how many loaves do you have? And an important question when Jesus is calling you to do something, you have to ask, what should I do with where I already am and what I already have? And they answered this, well, we've got seven loaves. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and he gave thanks. He gave thanks. There's a pitfall that we often fall into when we're looking at provision, is that we're focused on what we don't have and what we think we need, versus being grateful. When was the last time you took that paycheck from that employer you don't like and said, God, thank you? Oh, come on. I can tell that hits a little different. Have you stopped to be grateful for what you have right now? Jesus took those seven loaves and he gave thanks to God. God, you've put something in my hand. And I know you can do something with it. And he broke them. And he gave them to his disciples to set out before them. And they set them before the multitude. And they also had a few small fish. And having blessed them, and he, set, he said to them, set them also before them. So they ate and were filled. And they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments from what they already had. Can God do it again? Come on, if we're talking just loaves and fishes here, you know, I've lived it. You know, we, I've told this story before, but it was probably about 10, 15 years ago, we, were, we had a guest minister in, and uh, usually afterwards we would go back to our, uh, my parents' place and we'd put on a meal because usually by that time the restaurants would be closed, and so we'd usually cater a meal. And that night, a whole bunch of ministers we didn't know were coming showed up, and we're like, well, come on back. We'll figure something out. We definitely didn't plan food for you, but come on anyways. And so we had about double the amount of people that were supposed to be there. And the guy who was catering the meal, when he saw them walking in, he's like, we don't have food for all these people. And I remember Pastor Robin just saying, well, just begin to serve. And he served, and he served, and we ate, and we ate, and we were filled to the overflow, and we had leftovers. And he's like, I don't know how we just fed all these people. But often, we're thinking, okay, what, can we go, go for, is there a pizza shop open? Can we go, can we do it? No. What do you have? Come on, I have a friend who's lived this over and over and over again, where he was just feeding uh, all kinds of people off the streets of Greece, and, and he was just like, they'd come in, and they'd, he'd feed them all the pasta he had in his cupboard, and they'd shut the door in the cabinet, and it'd be empty, and the next morning when they opened it up, God would have filled it again because he was faithful just to keep doing. Or he's made a pot of soup and just kept serving and kept serving and kept serving until everybody that came was filled. God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Take what you have and be grateful and say, thank you, Father. I bless it. You know what blessing means? It means I empower it prosper or increase. God, I thank you for what you've given. I thank you for this paycheck. I thank you for these hands that enabled me to work. 
Come on, I watched a video this week of a guy slicing up meat with his toes because he had no arms. Be grateful for your hands. Be grateful that you got out of bed this morning. Be grateful that there's life and health in your body and that you live in the nation of Canada. Come on. So many people are focused on what they don't have. You live in one of the most prosperous nations in the world. And if you live at the poverty line of this country, you're in top, the top 12% of the world. Come on. We focus so much on what we don't have, thinking that if I only had that, then I would be happy. But it's not going to make you happy. They did a survey a while ago where they asked people of all pay range, uh, ranges from like barely making the poverty line to millions of the dollars. And you know what they asked? What, what, how much would you have to have to be happy? And everyone said more. Nobody was happy where they were. But God's provision comes out of thankfulness for where you are. And when we're thankful and open. He grows us. Let's think back about five, six weeks ago when Jesus was the answering the question, what is the kingdom of God like? It's like a little seed that is planted and becomes a great tree. That's God in your life. Be happy, be grateful, be willing to break bread with those around you and watch God increase your life. Why don't you stand on your feet this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. And we trust you, Lord, that you are a provider, just like your word says, that in every situation and in every season, we know that we have more than enough because we've got you. And so right now, God, we ask that you give us vision to see things like you do. Lord, we ask for wisdom and we receive it liberally right now in Jesus' name, that we know what to do in the season we're in. And Father, stir up gratitude in our hearts today. I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful for all he's done. I'm thank you to God that he gave his one and only son. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful for how you've blessed me, Lord. And I'm so thankful for where you've called me to. I'm so thankful for where I'm going, Lord. Because I know at the end of the line, <laughs> I'm still there with you, and there's no lack in you, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. We thank you, Father, every season, including this one. You are my provider. We thank you for it, in Jesus' name. Maybe you're in this place or you're watching us online today and you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, uh, it's worth it. <laughs> Man, it's so worth it that you don't want to go another moment without surrendering your heart to Him and letting Him stretch you and make you bring you into things that you never even conceived of, that, to breaking you free from the past. And so right now, we would love to pray with you. Come on, church, let's pray with them. Let's say, Father, we ask for Jesus. I receive him into my life right now. I turn from all else. And I turn to you, God. Lead me in your ways. In Jesus' name.
If you just prayed that prayer with us online, we would love for you to get in contact with us. We'd love to get some resources into your hands and get you hooked up with a good church in your area. If you're in the Smith Falls area, we say welcome home. We'd love to walk this journey together with you. Guys, in just a moment, our Word Care team is going to be up at the front. They would love to pray with you, believe with you, agree with you. If you've got pain in your body still, come and see them. They'll lay hands on you. If you've got a testimony and you want to celebrate with someone, they would love to do that. If you want to give this morning, you can do so at wordchurch.ca forward slash give. Or there's uh, envelopes in the seat and basket at the back. Whatever you choose to do, we just say thank you. We just say thank you. We are grateful. God, we bless the offering today. We thank you for it. Every, every dollar, every penny, it doesn't matter. We are grateful. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So guess what? Now the best part of church happens, where we get to be together, one another, have great conversations, and encourage each other and strengthen us. So let's have some coffee and good conversations. You are blessed.